And the uh, 1980 Winter Olympics, Coach Herb Brooks told his hockey team that the name on the front of the jersey means a whole lot more than the name on the back of the jersey. Of course, he's speaking to the team of the United States of America. If you'll remember straight, that was the year that they beat Russia. It was the miracle on ice. And the one thing that mattered to that team was playing for their country. I wonder if the one thing that matters to you is living for Jesus. The name of Jesus Christ being more important than your very own. What a beautiful, beautiful song. Take your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter number 25. 2 Chronicles 25. And we're going to uh, take a look at this entire chapter, but we're going to start by reading the first two verses. And while you're turning there, sometimes in life there are moments that are quite humorous that really show you how self-centered you are. I had a moment like this about five minutes ago while handshaking. And also realized, it made me realize I needed to learn how to speak sign language. Uh, because I walked over to the deaf department and, and these sweet people were, were doing this motion. And I thought for a second they were saying, you've gained a lot of weight. <laughs> I thought, are they calling me fat? I really didn't know what to say to that. And then for some, I don't remember what it was, but they motioned to my wife, and I was like, oh, yes, she is pregnant, yes. You see, you could be very self-centered without realizing it. But, uh, yes, we are, we are very excited. My wife is 34 weeks pregnant, and i uh, be praying for her as she carries that little boy, Elliot, in her tummy. And then we are really just thrilled to be able to uh, uh, have another child. Of course, Evelyn is very excited as well. And uh, sometimes she'll go up to my wife and, and start talking to him. And uh, it's very cute. But Second Chronicles chapter number 25, we're going to explore the life of a man by the name of Amaziah today. Amaziah. And the title of the message is Righteous But Not Right. Righteous But Not Right. Take a look at verse number one. It says, Amaziah was 20 and five years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 20 and nine years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name uh, was Jehodan of Jerusalem. This is the text that I want to focus on today. This verse is going to give us the understanding of the rest of the chapter. It says, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. If it would have just stopped there, it would have been nice. There's a conjunction in the middle, and it says, but not with a perfect heart. But not with a perfect heart. I was 16 years old, and, and I remember having a particularly bad week as far as um, I just can remember some of the things that I involved myself in that week. And, and I can tell you my life has not been perfect all the way through, thank God for His grace and thank God so much for His restoration. And, and thank God for good men in my life like Pastor Dewan and Pastor Weigel and other men who, who really gave me some wise counsel growing up. But I can tell you that my life wasn't perfect as a teenager. In fact, it was far from it. And I can remember that week in particular being one of those weeks where uh, I definitely had some rebellion uh, going on in my life. And, and uh, there were some... Rules that my parents had set out and I blatantly uh, disobeyed them and, and tried to get around their back by doing it. In fact, 
they had told me not to call a particular person, and I literally woke up at 2 a.m., went downstairs, grabbed the house phone because they had already taken away my cell phone, grabbed the house phone, and called this person uh, uh, secretly up in my room because I was just rebellious. I remember the night before I came to church that Sunday night listening to all kinds of wicked, wicked, I'm telling you wicked, immoral music. Stuff that I said I enjoyed, I liked it. But the truth is my flesh just really liked it. The next day I came into church and I remember, man, I, I put on a nice shirt, a nice pair of pants, like my parents had always told me to do for church. And, and I paid attention in Sunday school. Although I can say that I was very distracted by why, what I wanted to do after church and things of that nature. And yeah, I looked, like, I looked like I was playing the part pretty well. You couldn't distinguish me from, from another kid in church, from one of the kids that might have been sold out for Jesus Christ at the time. I, but I can tell you, I wasn't. There was a gentleman that came up to me, and I, I can remember still him putting his arm around my back and and he didn't know any better. He was just trying to encourage me. He was just trying to do his best to encourage me in the Lord. And he said, Nick, you're a good kid. You're a good kid. And to be honest with you, it, it almost hurt. Because I knew I was fooling that person pretty well. You know, it, it was honestly almost, almost bad for him to tell me that. Because in my heart, then I started to think, I am a good kid. I go to church. I'm not doing anything worse than anybody else. I might have been doing the right actions, but my heart was far from God. Understand that this is a story about a man who really was going through the right actions and following biblical commands, but his heart was far from God. And today we're going to see, really in the life of Amaziah, a, a, a certain uh, kind of wandering away from God because his heart just wasn't right. And you might be sitting here, no matter what age you are, and you look the part. You might even sound the part. You sing out loud uh, when we have the congregational singing. Uh, you look like you are a person in love with Jesus Christ, but you know your heart is far from God. I want to give you some signs today. Signs today that your heart may be far from God. Yeah, you might be going through the motions and your actions may seem righteous, but just like a Pharisee, you're far from Him. Let's take a look at, first of all, Amaziah's progression. Amaziah's progression. Of course, we understand that he was king at 25 years old. Verse number three, take a look at it. It says, Now it came to pass when the kingdom was established to him, that he slew his servants and killed the king his father. But he slew not their children, but did as it was written in the law in the book of Moses, where the Lord had commanded, saying, The father shall not die for the children, neither shall the children die for the fathers. But every man shall die for his own sin. And right away we see letter A, an initial responsibility to God's word. We can see he was young and he really took an initial responsibility to God's word. It was an outward display of doing the right thing. You can ask any of our little kids that sit in Sunday school what God's word has to say. You can ask any of them. And you may be able, be able to see them fulfill it sometimes. You can ask them what the Bible has to say about loving your neighbor. 
And they'll say, the Bible says, love your neighbor as yourself, right? You can ask the kids how they're, supposed to, uh, how they're supposed to respond to their parents. And they'll tell you, well, I'm supposed to obey my parents. And you might even, every once in a while, be able to see them fulfill that command. You might even ask them, how, how, are, how is your attitude supposed to be towards authority? And they might be able to tell you from the Bible that I'm supposed to honor my authority. They may know the Bible and be fulfilling it. And yet as they grow up, their heart may not be in it. I watch a lot of sports, as you know. And I can tell when an athlete's heart just isn't in it. Oh, they're very talented. They've got all the skill in the world. They can jump high, they can run fast, and they can do things other people can't. But I can tell you, give me one person whose heart is in it over that guy, and I'll take five of them, and I'll win more than, than someone whose heart isn't in it. You know, God is looking for someone whose heart is in it. Whose heart is completely sold out and surrendered, as my sister just sang. Listen, I am completely surrendered to the sake of Jesus Christ, for the cause of Jesus Christ, for this cause I live, for this cause I die. It's not just a responsibility to His Word, it's not just kind of an initial show that I'm putting on, but it's a true surrender. And I wonder today. You, may, you might know God's word. In fact, you might have grown up in Sunday school since, since the point you were born, okay? You were born in a nursery, okay? All right? You know what I'm talking about. You might have a responsibility to God's word, but you are not surrendered to it. Amaziah felt a responsibility to God's word, but as we're going to see in a few minutes, he had no surrender to it. I used to walk up to the kitchen counter at school, and, and uh, I can remember I was in ninth and tenth grade, and uh, I used to, uh, I used to say, you know, uh, Mrs. Spoulos, your hair is looking so nice today. <laughs> Mrs. Spoulos, the meal it just smells so good today. It's looking so good. Mrs. Spoulos, did you lose weight? <laughs> <laughs> And I used to try to finagle my way into getting a meal, and uh, she, she really wouldn't have it ever. She was wiser than that. But my motives were completely wrong. Man, I was trying to get some free food. Later on in 11th and 12th grade, I just stopped trying. I just said, hey, can I get some food? <laughs> I can tell you that our motives mean something. Our motives mean something, church. Again, you might be fulfilling God's word, but what are your motives to it? What are your motives for being here? Is it to serve and worship Jesus Christ, or is it to get another good piece of the gossip that's going around? Is it to serve and worship Jesus Christ, or is it so that you can have a higher kind of view in pastor's eyes? By the way, that won't, that won't matter to him. I can tell you right now. It is kind of funny when pastor's sitting right there, but uh, 
I see an initial responsibility to God's word, but letter B, I see an independence in decision-making. And here's where the progression goes south fast. Take a look at verse number five. It says, Moreover, Amaziah gathered Judah together and made them captains over thousands and captains over hundreds according to the houses of their fathers throughout all Judah and Benjamin. And he numbered them from 20 years old and above and found them 300,000 choice men able to go forth to war that they could handle spear and shield. Verse number six, he hired also a hundred thousand mighty men of valor out of Israel for a hundred talents of silver. And you might say, well, what's the problem there? I don't see any problem. Let me kind of give you some background at this time. Amaziah was the king of Judah. It was a split kingdom, okay? The northern kingdom was considered Israel. And uh, right down the line, the tribe of Benjamin and the tribe of Judah consisted of uh, uh, the nation of Judah. And so sometimes when you see in 2 Chronicles and, 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 and 1 Chronicles, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, where you see a distinction between Israel and Judah, understand they're two different nations. And during this time period, uh, Israel was a different nation. In fact, they were a nation that really was far from God. When you look at the history of Israel, you'll find that not one single king, one single king in the nation of Israel did right in the eyes of the Lord. Not a single one. Now in Judah, they were scattered in between. You'd have good kings like Uzziah, although he ended his, uh, his reign pretty uh, Poorly, if you look into his reign, uh, you'll take a look at Hezekiah and the same thing. Pretty good, but ended pretty bad. Uh, of course, Josiah, we know Josiah started reigning when he was eight years old, and he did that which was right in the, in the eyes of the Lord. In fact, Josiah had said of him that he really uh, found the book of the law and taught it and observed it all the days of his life. And that, that was really interesting if you look at him. But there were some bad kings intertwined here and there. But Israel, not one good king. And as far as Israel was concerned, they were going south fast. And so while reading that verse, I, I kind of want to go over it again. So verse number six says, he hired also a hundred thousand mighty men of valor out of Israel for a hundred talents of silver. And you might say, well, what's wrong with that? Let me ask you something. When has God ever commanded a king of Judah or king of Israel or one of his chosen men to hire someone of another nation to help them? When did God ever do that? When did God ever tell a king, I, I need you to get someone else to come in and help because we're just not strong enough? In fact, I remember very clearly when uh, uh, Joshua was faced up against Jericho, God basically didn't do anything except for tell the, uh, the men to walk around the wall. Do you remember this? They didn't even have to fight and the walls came down. Do you remember Gideon? The thousands of men that he had, and, and all of a sudden God says, nah, that's not enough, uh, that's, that's too much, too much. So he cuts it down, and, and God says, ah, still too much. So he cuts it down again, and there's about 300 men left, and God says, yeah, that, 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 that's pretty good. And Gideon's thinking, 300 men, we are going to die. <laughs> we are going to die. But God gives them a plan, and the nation of Israel comes through, right? When has God ever sought out help from another nation? When has God ever commanded a king to seek out help elsewhere? The problem is, he never went to God. The problem is, he never sought God's face here. And he had independence in his decision making. In fact, he said to himself, you know, I'm king of Israel. Or I should say, I'm king of Judah. I... 
I, I'm, I'm doing pretty good here. I'm following God's commands. And just, everything's going pretty good for me so far. And he didn't seek God's face on an extremely important decision. I want you to take a look at the next couple verses. It says, But there came a man of God to him, saying, O king, let not the army of Israel go with thee, for the Lord is not with Israel, to wait with all the children of Ephraim. But if thou wilt go, do it, be strong for battle. God shall make thee to fall before the enemy, for God hath power to help and to cast down. So here comes this man of God, and he says, Whoa, hold on! Wait, wait a second, what are you doing? What are you doing, man? You hired all these guys? God's not with them. In fact, they're far from the Lord right now. And you hired them to come help you? What were you thinking? I'm sure is what the, uh, the man of God was thinking. What were you thinking? And, and I look at some Christians, and I look at myself in my life, and I see some decisions that we make, and I think to myself, you know what? I probably should have sought God's face before I made that decision. How many decisions have you made as of late where you literally did not seek God one time? You know, it's interesting is that the Bible gives us a command regarding this. It says, let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by what? And with thanksgiving, let your requests be known unto God. I, I love that phrase, but in everything. Literally every single decision of your life should pass before the throne of God. But this is where our heart becomes separated, really, in our relationship with God. This is where our heart says, you know what? I don't really need God here. You know, I think I'm good. God, I'll ask you for help on the big things. I'm good. But the Bible says, in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known unto God. I wonder how many decisions this week, this week, just one week. Go back one week. Think through how many decisions you did not pray about. And, and listen, I, this may, might sound silly, but I, I was just thinking to myself at the prayer events, and I, I had to repent of not even coming to God's face for even some of the big decisions in my life. You know, one of the, one of the things that, that really captured my attention is how many even small things I should say, God, what, what do you want here? God, what, what, do you, what do you think that, what do you think my, my, my dietary plan should be like? God, God, what, what, do you, what do you think we should do about this? God, what do, you, what do you think I should do about this job situation? God, what do you think I should do with regards to my finances here? God, what do you think about this post I'm about to put up on Facebook or Instagram? How many times do we post something and, and later on you look at it and you're like, what was I thinking? Really, the question should be, what was I thinking regarding not going to God first? The tragedy in those verses is what is never mentioned, and it's God. That's the tragedy. Would the tragedy be in your life right now that you're going through the motions, and, and yes, your actions seem righteous, but you're not right with God? Because when's the last time that he was really a part of your prayer life. 
part of your decision life. And independence and decision making, I'm going to hurry here. Letter C, I want to see an improper response to God's message. He was righteous but not right. And it was obvious here. Verse number 9, after the, the prophet of God comes or the man of God comes and he says, listen, you are, you are in the wrong here. He doesn't respond with like, oh man, I was dumb. I should have thought about it. Whoa, it's me. You know, I'm sorry, God. What does he say in verse number 9? And Amaziah said to the man of God, but what shall we do for the hundred talents which I have given to the army of Israel? But what about the money I just paid them? What about the money I just wasted? And I, lo- I love this answer by this man of God. I love it. This is great. And it's almost just like one of those moments where the other guy really couldn't respond to this. Okay, and It says, the man of God answered, the Lord is able to give thee much more than this. Hey, guess what? Just do the right thing and shut up. I'm sorry, but that's how it's got to be in some instances. Do the right thing and keep your mouth shut. Listen and keep your mouth shut. Instead, there was an improper response of, yeah, but what about all my money? What about all my money, God? God says, I don't want you to work on Sundays. What about my money? I don't want you to do overtime when it comes to prayer meeting on Wednesdays. You need to be there. But what about my money? I need you to be soul winning on Saturdays. But that's when I get my extra work in. But that's when I get my extra sleep in. What about that, God? The Lord's able to give you much more than that. You know what I'm sick of? I really am sick of this. And I I guess this is pride in me. So so I probably should just say, listen... I'm, I'm tired of seeing teen parents allow their kids work on Sundays. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of seeing teen parents allow their teens to miss out, miss out on the blessings of God, on the word of God on Sundays, because they allow their kids to go to some sporting event. On Wednesdays and on Sundays. When your kids need to be under the word of God. But God, you don't understand. They, they, they're just trying to make a buck or two. No, no, no. God is able to give them more than that. You don't understand that, that my kid really wants to play soccer, but God is able to give them more joy than that. You know, I, I can tell you that when I was a teenager, when I was a teenager, the times that I miss out on a teen activity or a Wednesday night service, or something like that. It was always the Wednesday night services, or it was always the activities that everyone was talking about later on. So the thing that I did in place of going to church, or whatever it might have been, wasn't even worth it. Because God is able to give so much more. More joy. I'm telling you, whatever way you spin it, God is able to give more. Whatever the situation is. He might have been righteous, but he wasn't right. Yeah, your kids might be good kids. Oh, they do the right thing. They're, they're good kids, quote unquote. But they're not right with God. Let's be clear on that. I mean, my Bible says, uh, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a man of some is. That's what the word of God has to say. 
there's an improper response to God's message. Oh, we've got to be very careful to the way we respond to what God has to say. Letter D, there's an insane substitution for idols. And really, I, I know I was trying to alliterate there, but it really was insane. It really was insane. Let's skip down a little bit, okay? The Bible has to say, um, the Bible has to say in verse number 13, but the soldiers of the army which Amaziah sent back that they should not go to battle with him fell upon the cities of Judah from Samaria even unto Beth Horon <coughs> and smote 3,000 of them and took much spoil. Now we're going to get to that in just a minute or two. Uh, verse number 14 says, Now it came to pass after Amaziah was come from the slaughter of the Edomites that brought back the gods of the children of Seir and set them up to be his gods and bowed down himself before them and burned incense unto them. We're talking about a guy who started out where the Bible says he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, right? Right? But his heart was not perfect before God. Here's, here's the example. He's a good kid. He just makes some bad decisions. No, 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 no. Let's get this straight. He's not right with God. Oh, he's a good person. He's a good person. He just makes bad decisions. No, no, no. Let's get this right. He's not right with God. You know, I, I'm, I'm here in church. You know, I just don't make the best decisions in life. You're not right with God. Let's stop spinning it around to make ourselves look better. Let's stop spinning around to make this flesh look any good. Because this flesh is worthless. You know, it's, it's funny that we think to ourselves, well, Pastor Nick, yeah, I mean, this, this point isn't me, obviously. I'm not taking a statue of Buddha and putting it in front of my coffee table and, and burning incense before it. Yes, but let me think about what worship really is. Worship is those things that we value, that we give our attention, time, and finances to. That is worship. Now, let me ask you, what idol are you worshiping? For me, I can tell you, for me, I can tell you right now what my problem is. It's this thing. I like media. I do. I like sports. I put a lot of time into this thing, and God broke me of that this weekend. I got sick of it. I got sick of the time that I spent looking at this and wasting my life away. What is it for you? Anything that takes place of God really is an idol, right? This man had this insane substitution for idols, uh, for, for God, and he put idols in its place. And let me, let me just remind you that John, while speaking to Christians, he said, little children abstain from idols. Little children, he's talking to Christians. If you don't think he's talking to Christians, then you really can't use 1 John as a, as a book for assurance for your salvation. But he is talking to Christians, just, just to let you know that. Abstain from idols. These are people saved by the grace of God. John wasn't necessarily talking about, yes, this physical form of idols, but he is talking about those things that we put in front of God on a continual basis. So, it's insane. It's insane. When the Bible says, uh, I, I, I'm trying to remember, I think it's in 1 Thessalonians, where the Apostle Paul is talking to the believers there, and he says, don't you remember how God saved you and turned you from worshiping idols to the true and living God? 
Why do we worship something that is going to die off or is already dead? It's not living. But we can come and worship Jesus Christ, our Savior, who, by the way, from what the Bible has to say, he's risen. He's alive. Why is it that we put our focus into something that just won't last? I think Jesus said it like this, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Those things that will not last are not worth our worship. They're not. Listen, I'm, I'm not saying that we can't have fun. We have sports teams at the Christian school. I'm not saying that sports are bad. I'm not saying that whatever you are involved in is bad, but a good thing can become a bad thing when it becomes a God thing. A good thing, let me repeat that. A good thing becomes a bad thing. And even further, a sinful thing when it becomes a God thing. What is your idol? What is your idol? Letter E. By the way, I only have two big points, just so you know, okay? All right. And my second point is really short. Because I believe repentance is, is very easy. So my second point is really short today. So letter E, he insists on taking responsibilities that were not his. And I'm going to go back to verse number 13. Take a look at it. And we've, we've gone through this chapter, and you can see bit by bit how his heart really was turning away from God. You really can see this, right? You can see the progression. Maybe you can start to see the progression in your life, too. So we're going to talk about just a second how a wrong can become right. But Let's take a look at this verse number 13. But the soldiers of the army, which Amaziah sent back, that they should not go with him. Remember those guys that he paid? Remember those guys that he said, man, I just wasted a whole bunch of money? Well, he sent them away. They fell upon the cities of Judah from Samaria, even unto Beth Horon, and smote 3,000 of them, and took much spoil. They are angry, they are upset. In fact, in verse number 10, it says, Then Amaziah separated them to wit. The army was come to him out of Ephraim to go home again. Wherefore, their anger was greatly kindled against Judah. So what do they do? They go, and along their way, yeah, well, guess what? You sent us away, and we walked all this way. We're going to pillage and plunder all the way back home. Well, that's what they did. So later on, you'll see in verse number 17, then Amaziah, the king of Judah, took advice and sent to Joash, the son of Jehoaz, the son of Jehu, the king of Israel, saying, Come, let us see one another in the face. In other words, oh yeah? You want to do that to my nations? Okay, let's have it out. Let's have it out. And he started to take a responsibility that wasn't his. If I remember straight in Deuteronomy chapter number 32, and uh, you don't have to turn there, God says this to the children of Israel. He says, To me belongeth vengeance. And recompense, their foot shall slide in due time. For the day of their calamity is at hand, and the things that shall come upon them make haste. And I can tell you a sign of someone whose heart is not right with God is someone who takes responsibilities for themselves. Responsibilities that are God's and God's alone. He says, listen, come on Israel, let's have it. I'll tear you to shreds. And honestly, in verse number 18, all the way to verse number 20, there's like this trash talking between Israel and Judah, where basically the king of Israel says, listen, you go home and worship your idols, okay? You go home and sit around. You're, you're fine over there. 
All right, but if you come here, I'll, I'll tear you apart. And basically, Amaziah doesn't listen. Verse number 20 says, But Amaziah would not hear, for it came of God that he might deliver them out of the hand of their enemies, because they sought after the gods of Edom. So Joash, the king of Israel, went up, and they saw one another in the face, both he and Amaziah, king of Judah, at Beth Shemesh, which belonged to Judah. And Judah was put to the worst before Israel. In other words, he says, I'm going to take revenge. I'm going to have my vengeance against Israel. But what ends up happening is they get put to shame. And, and it's so bad, so bad. And then in verse number 23, it says, And Joash, the king of Israel, took Amaziah, the king of Judah, the son of Joash, the son of Jehoaz, at Beth Shemesh, and brought him to Jerusalem, and broke down the wall of Jerusalem from the gate of Ephraim to the corner gate, 400 cubits. And he took all the gold and the silver and all the vessels that were found in the house of God with Obed-Edom and the treasures of the king's house, the hostages also, and returned to Samaria. In other words, here's what happened. He dragged Amaziah all the way back to Jerusalem. And he stole everything right in front of him. So listen, you want to get vengeance? Here it is. Most of the time when I take responsibilities on myself that were God's and God's alone, bad things happen. Amaziah was really realizing that here. And he was literally being embarrassed in front of all his people. In Jerusalem. And all the things in God's house were stolen. Because of his foolish, insisting that he take this responsibility of vengeance on himself. His heart was not right. There was a problem. There was a problem. And yes, initially, he was obedient to God's word. And yes, initially, he looked right. But there was a problem that was not solved. And really, lastly, his inevitable end. And this is awful. Verse number 27, now after the time that Amaziah did return, uh, did return from following the Lord, they made a conspiracy against him in Jerusalem, and he fled to Lachish. But they sent to Lachish after him, and they slew him there. It gets so bad that there's a conspiracy against him, and he has to flee. As king, he has to flee. This is how bad it gets. I'm telling you, there is a progression there's a problem. If you've got a heart issue, eventually it will explode. Eventually it will become a bigger problem. You're someone who's got a problem with lust. Eventually it will become a bigger problem. You're someone who's got a little problem with greed. You try to take every little bit that you can. Eventually it will become a bigger problem. And here I want to see a man that had a big problem, but it, he made it right with God. A big problem, but he made it right with God. I want to see David's repentance. We're going to turn our attention from Amaziah because that's a sad story. I mean, that is sad. That's such a good start, but a horrendous finish. But I want to see a man who had a good start, had some problems in between, but man, he made it right with God. Take your Bibles to Psalm 51. I'm telling you, if there's a heart problem, there's a way to fix it. There's a way to get it right. If there's a problem in your heart today, you've got some bitterness. You've got some anger. You've got those little things where, yeah, you look okay, 
But man, it, it's got a tendency to explode. There's a way to make it right. Take your Bible to Psalm 51. David's repentance. Second Samuel is really one of the saddest chapters in Scripture, but it really shows us one of the most profound psalms in Scripture after it. We find in 2 Samuel 11, the sweet psalmist of Israel, the giant killer, the man after God's own heart. He fails and he falls. And there are two, two I guess, phrases. You know, you have David and Goliath, but there's also another phrase, David and Bathsheba. And this is the psalm that he writes, and really he's responding to Nathan saying, you are the man, you are the one who's the problem. You not only had adultery, but you killed the husband of the woman you had adultery with. You have a problem, David. You know, Amaziah, when he was told he had a problem, he didn't respond right. And that's where it progressed. But here is where David makes a wrong or right. Makes it right. He makes it right with God. Makes it right. And really after this, even after this point, God says, he's a man after my own heart. Even amongst his biggest mistake in life. Psalm 51 says, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. If we are looking at David's repentance, there are some lessons that we can learn. And the first lesson that we can learn is get clean. If you've got a heart problem, and yes, you look righteous on the outside as far as your actions, but you know you have a heart problem, get clean. David says, wash me thoroughly. Every square inch of me. In fact, in Psalm 139, David would say, search me, O God, and know my ways. God, I am transparent before you. God, there's nothing that I'm going to hide. God, I want to be clean. He says here, wash me thoroughly. Every part, my thoughts, my actions, my motives, wash me. My friends, there's a lesson here. Get clean. Get clean. Get washed. He says, and cleanse me from my sin. Letter B, I want to tell you, get real. Get real. Verse number three says, For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. In other words, David is saying, Lord, it's not anybody else's fault. It's not my mom's fault. It's not my dad's fault. It's not my grandfather's fault. It's not the society that I grew up in's fault. God, it's me and me alone. I'm getting real with you. I am being real in front of you, God. This is not some kind of uh, 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 faking or, or, or acting that I'm trying to do. God, this is fully me in front of you. <coughs> Get clean. My friends, please get real with God. I want you to do me a favor today when you have the free time. Look throughout this verse, or this chapter, I should say, and count how many times David says, me, I, or any other personal pronoun, mine, me, my, my sin, I. 
he recognizes it's his fault. It's not glorying in himself. It's literally depraving himself. Saying, God, it's me and me alone. Count how many times. There's a lot. There's a lot. Get real with God. Get pure. You might say, well, well, isn't that kind of redundant? Get clean, get pure. I want to, I want to read this verse for you, and I want to explain it. Verse number 7, it says, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. What's really interesting is sometimes there are things in life like hand sanitizer. Have you ever, you ever used hand sanitizer? Your hands are already clean, but what does it do? It keeps you pure. Your hands are already clean. You might have washed your hands already, but putting hand sanitizer on, it really kind of keeps germs from kind of getting on your hands and things like that. It kind of erases that effect. It keeps you pure, right? David is saying, keep me pure, God. I don't want to have another problem like this. God, I don't want to have another sin problem like this. God, I, I, I know you've washed me and I'm clean and I'm getting real with you about it because it's me and my problem alone, but keep me pure, God. Maybe there's some boundaries in life that you have to set up to keep your heart right with God. Maybe there's some standards you need to set up to keep your heart right with God. Hey, if you're, you're like me and you spend way too much time on media, whatever it is, set some boundaries. Say, God, I'm, I'm only going to spend one hour looking at media all day, whether that be TV, phone, whatever it is. I'm going to read some books, God. If it's your heart and your lust and you've got a problem with what you look at, make sure your spouse knows. Your spouse can help. Set up some boundaries. If you've got some anger issues, get pure. Get it right. Get clean, get real, get pure. And letter D, this is, this is awesome. I, I love this. Get restored. Get restored. Verse number 12 and, and I want to encourage you to read this whole thing. I don't have time today, but read the whole thing. It's beautiful. It's, it's so beautiful. It says, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Some of you haven't experienced that for years. Some of you months, days. You haven't experienced it because, yeah, you're going through the motions, but your heart is not right. Get clean. Get real get pure, get restored. Amaziah had a real problem that he never fixed. Amaziah's life ended in tragedy. Amaziah is one of the saddest stories in all of Scripture of potential that was wasted because his heart wasn't perfect before God. I'm glad that David's story didn't end like that. I'm glad that David's story with regards to Bathsheba didn't end in necessarily tragedy. And yes, there was sin that he had, to, he had to suffer consequences for. And yes, that might happen in your life. I'm not saying repentance wipes away consequence. But what I am saying is that there is restoration at the hand of God. You're just not experiencing the joy that you should have as a Christian you're not experiencing that fulfillment in your relationship with, with God. Maybe it's because, yeah, you, you're doing the right things, but your heart is far from him. Listen, this, this message was, was more for me than anyone else in this room. 
God preached this to me uh, really kind of in a rough way. I just hope that maybe this message was a blessing to you. Today, if you need to get clean, if you need to get restored, I'm telling you, there's an altar right here, and it's waiting for you. God is waiting for you. He's calling to you. Make your heart right. Make your heart right before everything ends in tragedy. Make your heart right. Let's pray. Jesus, I, I just thank you for examples in Scripture, especially the Old Testament. Lord, uh, examples of, of, of men who are right, but their heart just was far from you. God, I believe that that is many of us in this room. God, I believe that many of us have problems where, yeah, we're, we're going through the motions, but our heart is far from you. God, I pray for them, Lord, to, to be convicted and to be to be really kind of um, burdened in their heart for that thing that's keeping them from you. God, I pray for souls to get clean today. God, if there's any who have never accepted you as their personal Savior, that they come and receive you, receive you and know the joy of salvation, the joy of having you, having a relationship with you. God, I pray as we give this invitation that you would lead and work in Jesus' name.